Midwife Calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we talk about each episode of Call the Midwife uh, without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor, and this week we're talking about the season four Christmas special, unless you call it, unless you call it the season three Christmas special. I know, I know, they always uh, ca- uh, call this part of the season that's upcoming, but uh, there wasn't a season one Christmas special, so it always feels to me like it's wrapping up the season that has come before as much as anything else. But anyway, this is the Christmas special that comes in between Season 3 and Season 4, which means we are on our way into Season 4, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. This episode was written by Heidi Thomas and directed by Thaddeus O'Sullivan. Heidi Thomas, of course, created the show, has written many an episode, and we most recently saw her in the finale of Season 3. Thaddeus O'Sullivan has not directed any episodes of Call the Midwife before, but this is not the last we are going to see of him. All right, so let's get into our recap. Uh, We start in a very unusual place. Uh, We start with Mature Jenny in the flesh, played by uh, Vanessa Redgrave. Who's been the voice all along. Who's been the voice all along. So we're going to call this the present, even though it's like not the actual present. It's like, you know, early 2000s. So mature Jenny writes Christmas cards to the sisters of St. Raymond. She talks to Philip, her husband, and looks for a china ornament. She looks at pictures and talks about the nuns. In 1959, cards arrive from Jenny including the Turners with their new baby, Chummy directs snowflakes for the Christmas pageant. (laughs) And Fred is going to star as Santa, of course. Sister Julianne and Sister Monica Joan unpack a nativity scene, finding the sheep has been broken. Peter studies for his sergeant exam, having failed twice. Sister Julianne meets with Cynthia, who is feeling called to the religious life, but is still hesitant. Chummy and Patsy help two women who are going to a mother-baby home, Astor Lodge, for unwed mothers. Avril is a snobby woman who just wants to leave her baby at the hospital, and teenage Denise, who is with her worried and judgmental mother. Sister Monica Joan and Fred pick up an extra-large Christmas tree, with a man, Victor, helping them. Cynthia brings him some mince pies, and he bring, brings, in turn brings them to Nancy, his partner. The two of them are very poor and saving for the birth of their baby. All right. Do you want to talk right now or do you want to wait till the end to just talk about this beginning and ending? And I mean, uh, spoilery, no spoiler because this is in the same episode. But, <laughs> uh, the bookends of the episode. We come back to mature Jenny in the flesh, in the present, at the end of the episode. Yeah, let's talk about it now. Because what do you think of it? Um, I don't love it, but I feel like they had to do something to wrap up Jenny because she was just 
suddenly gone. Like her departure was wicked fast. Yeah. And uh, and so they, I think they wanted to do something where they showed that uh, Jenny Lee, Jen, aka Jenny Worth, was a real person mm-hmm. who wrote real memoirs, and so they wanted to uh, kind of conclude her arc with the show. I think it is way too cheesy, <laughs> way too like. The well, I, I'll just say like at the end when when Philip is like, maybe you should write your memoirs, and like <laughs> maybe I will. Like no one had this conversation ever, and I felt like uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm just like, why did you do this? <laughs> it's. I love Call the Midwife and I love how like emotional it is, but it always feels more real. Even when it's over the top, it feels real. And this felt not real at all. Yeah, to I me. agree. I don't know if it was the direction or the acting. Like, Vanessa Redgrave is good, but... Yeah. Uh, she, doesn't look like, she doesn't look like Jenny. No. <laughs> and and the actor they had for Philip is was not very great. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm... Perhaps he's very good in many other things. He wasn't good in this. No. Uh, and like, I agree with you. It was like a Hallmark. I was like, it's like a Hallmark, but it wasn't like a Hallmark movie. It was like a Hallmark commercial. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it was weird. It was very, I, I totally agree. I think, like you said, in conception, I like it. I like the idea of wrapping up Jenny. I even like the idea of like flashing to the present and like the the there were some ideas of like she's sending christmas cards in the present but then they arrive in the past like mm. that was nice mm. uh sort of yeah <laughs> but it was so cheesy yeah i think unfortunately part. like we're a spoiler free podcast but i will say that this doesn't happen again no this flashing forward and because of that and because now i've watched like 10 seasons of this and it never happens again that it feels so out of place yes and uh and because now that they they couldn't have known when they recorded this how long this show would last but they have uh no sense of what's going to happen and we who've watched the whole show do and so i'm like how can you have pictures of them at this age when like wouldn't other things happen <laughs> right well but this is when she leaves them so this she is when she leaves them. Her time it's true. With them it's that's true. fine i just like them decorating the like do, do you remember your days with the nuns let's talk about it now for some reason yeah when we're like okay okay and i just like i'm glad to get that out of the way mm-hmm. yeah exactly We'll talk, I would like to talk about uh, the, uh, back to her and the present and the broken sheep. I'd like to talk about that at the end of the episode, Yes, please. yeah, let's talk about that later. Uh, so they're preparing for the Christmas concert. Mm-hmm. Or the Christmas pageant or whatever. Yeah, which is, that's a common theme between all the Christmas specials so far, is yeah. that there's always... Uh, they're deeply involved in the local church and the local community. And there has to be some kind of play or nativity play or something. And uh, I love Fred as Santa. Of course, Fred would be Santa. 
And he's and, adorable. Yeah. And this is Chummy, who was so stressed out for her first one and is, like, kind of coming to her own and is not nearly as panicky. Mm-hmm. It's just nice to see. Yeah. I want to just second how much I love Fred and how serious... Not only is he playing Santa, but he is taking it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And it is adorable. He is such a softy. Yep. All right. So on to the major kind of bombshell of this episode, which is Cynthia is called the religious life. Mm-hmm. She wants to become a nun or is conflicted about wanting to become a nun. She's thinking um, about it and considering it. Have we seen, do you think, looking back, I mean, we had seen the whole show when we started so we didn't we tried not to give any hints of this but now looking back had we seen any hints of this in the first three seasons do you think i think there's a bit of it there's a bit of hinting um we've seen that she's different or she feels different and especially when compared to trixie Mm -hmm. she isn't boy crazy she isn't really looking for that and Though I do feel like it might have been nice to have her attend a little bit more of the chapel services. Before this episode. Before this episode. That didn't really seem to happen in the past. Mm -hmm. But I do, it it made total sense. Yeah. Like, when I I said bombshell just now, but it's not actually. I felt like it, in terms of a a narrative flow to the show... To have Sister Bernadette leave and then Cynthia kind of take her place. And we'll see how that plays out. But it does feel like they were ready for another nun to come in. And who else but Cynthia would be that nun? I mean, someone new. But yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense to... I think we have not seen it hinted or foreshadowed or if so, like, very, very subtly in a way that even on a second, third watching, I didn't catch. Mm-hmm. But I do think it kind of makes sense with what we know of her character. I really like it. Mm-hmm. And I really love uh, Sister Julienne here, as always, is the best. I just really love the way that Sister Julienne is like, you can think about it forever if you want to. There is a uh, chance in six months... But you can think about it and next year or in two years or like she's very much like it is open to you, but no pressure mm-hmm. <laughs> because she knows how serious uh, uh, decision it is. Yeah. Having made it herself. But also, I just if I was going to someone for like serious uh life-changing thing her attitude of like support and encouragement with no pressure is just like the best Mm -hmm. she's the best yeah um in when the nuns are back when they're like preparing and decorating for christmas and bringing out the ornament sister monica joan quotes Ode to a Grecian Urn Mm. by John Keats. Yep. Um, And I just want to draw attention to that because it's both, it's about like, uh, it's a poem about how uh, the sublime of art and art can uh, 
draw you on to to uh, emotional and spiritual depth, uh, which is not really what I mean. Which is kind of what uh, ornaments are meant to do. That is, they're not high art the way a Grecian urn is, but they're like pulling you towards, pointing you towards something else, and it kind of follows the idea of what Cynthia is doing too. Is like she's moving towards some uh, thing that isn't seen. And I also that moment want to point out because Trixie says, oh, is that Keats? And Mom says to Monica Jones, is like, I didn't write down the exact quote, but she's like, oh, you recognize Keats? You're not an idiot after all. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't isn't quite those words, but the idea of it. She's like, when you started stepping out with that Mr. Harewood, I thought he would be far beyond you intellectually. <laughs> Trixie's just like, ah, uh, thanks. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> anyway. Um, so the two major uh, plots we have in this episode are the two unwed mothers, Denise and Avril, and then uh, Victor and his... Uh, she's not his wife because she says later that she's not his wife, but his partner, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about Avril and Denise? Yeah. You said uh, that uh, Denise and then teenage Avril. No, absolutely. You said Avril and then teenage Denise. How old is Avril? I read her as like maybe 18, but maybe I'm wrong. I read her as older than Denise, for sure. Like Denise is like 16. She's like... uh, I thought she was either like 18 or 19 or in her early 20s. Okay. But she's also putting on airs. Yeah. So maybe she's younger she's than... I think she's trying to come off as older. Yeah, that's true. But I like... I'm totally based on nothing and I could be very wrong. But like, I read her as like maybe 18. Mm-hmm. I, just a few little bit in this scene some words that she uses and references that they make that I didn't get at first and looked up, but she says she's, uh, Avril says she has a dancette to carry as well as a suitcase. Do you know what that means? No. A dancette is a portable record player. Ooh. So she's bringing a portable record player to the mother and baby home so she can (laughs) dance and listen to music. And Denise's mother says, uh, you sound like you're going to Butlin's. And Avril says, St. Moritz is more my style. Do you know what any Neither of that means? Neither the, no. So Butlins is a chain of seaside resorts in the mm, UK. Okay. And St. Moritz is a luxury resort in Switzerland that uh, is not a chain. Gotcha. So it's like, you're going to this, sounds like you're going to this fancy chain of resorts. And she's like, no, the not a chain in Switzerland is more my style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, she's definitely putting on a lot of air. <laughs> and her mink. That's why I've got my mink. And Denise's mother is like, it's never mink. That's never mink. <laughs> and then later, like, yeah, your mother was right. <laughs> it's not mink. <laughs> <laughs> um, I immediately really like Avril, actually. Me too. She is a very, I yeah, she's a very interesting character. And I, throughout this whole episode, I mean, we love see... her. We see more reason to like her going forward, mm. but I just, for the record, I liked her right away. Yeah, <laughs> she was so fun. she's so uh, compelling as a character. Mm. 
Um, though she starts off, the first thing she says is uh, criticizing uh, the Turners, hey? Yeah, she her is. Her first line is, he's years older than her, gives me the creeps. Yeah. And I think, like, I kind of like it that people notice and disapprove <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, we're very, we love the Turners so much, but there would be, I mean, lots of disapproval for he's older than her and she used to be a nun. Yeah. Yeah. It is, uh, to put it mildly, it's an unusual romance. Yes, and exactly. people who aren't on the inside of it, I, I kind of like them showing some, like, if you don't know the whole story, maybe even if you do. Yep. It's like, ugh. Yep. Um, anything else to say about the Avril and Denise at this point? Uh, Denise's mother uh, seems awful at first in a mm-hmm. way, but in... Uh, I feel like she's not as bad as other mothers we've seen. Yeah. And she's disappointed and upset that her daughter is, you know, 16 and pregnant the way many, many of us would be. Uh but and just like kind of wants her to go off and get rid of it uh but there is a sympathy to her and there is like a she's questioning why avril is alone yeah and it's not completely unsympathetic no there is like a snobby there is like a adversarial relationship with them right off the bat but I do, I don't know what it, what it is about the mother that I have sympathy for immediately. She's got a very sad face. Yeah, she does have a sad face. And it just like makes, she doesn't have an angry face. She has a sad face. Mm-hmm. And it makes it so that like, I'm on, you're on, in an conflict between them. We're on Denise's side, but she doesn't seem like she's Denise's enemy. Mm-hmm. The way sometimes mothers do. Yeah. Uh, on this show and like in general but on this show sometimes we have them like especially at first we have them be like all anger and uh and then often they get softened Mm -hmm. but she starts soft yeah it's true uh fred and fred and sister monica jones scenes in general Mm -hmm. make me so happy uh (laughs) the the relationship between them is just so good. I love the two of them. It's kind of pushing similar buttons to uh, Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina. Yes, exactly. Like, Fred is so practical and Sister Monica Joan is so airy-fairy. But Fred just, he doesn't have any adversary towards Sister Monica Joan the way like Sister Evangelina has yep. this little bit of adversarial relationship where he has nothing but affection for her and adoration, I think, in a way. <laughs> like in the in a way that someone who I don't wanna I don't know how to say this quite right, but like he's non uneducated where she's educated. Right. And so he's just seeing her in awe in some ways. But also she's out of her mind in other ways. (laughs) (laughs) But he'll do anything she says. Yeah. Because she's Sister Monica Joan. Yeah, it is a great relationship and it is a great scene and there's a lot of comedy always in their interactions. Mm -hmm. I love 
uh, Sister Julianne explicitly told me nothing ostentatious. And Sister Monica Jones like, there's no ostentation in size, but only in decoration. <laughs> like, okay. And then, of course, they get a huge, huge tree that Fred has to cut down to fit into the living room <laughs> or in the I also, one of my favorite room. moments, definitely in this scene, is that, like, I wish a tree that should be full, neither too stout, nor too tall, nor too short, and it should smell pleasingly of pine. They all smell of pine. They're pine. <laughs> <laughs> and she wants a tree that was grown on allied soil. No German trees. Yes. Which I... That's... Yeah, I like that. That's funny. <laughs> this whole exchange is fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And then they get this giant tree much too big for their space. And Fred has to cut the top off of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh... Which we have done, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> we have gotten that tree that's too big for our space because they look—they don't look that tall. No. When you see them in the lot and then you get them home and like, oh my goodness, this thing is huge. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, it's not the end of the world to cut the top off a tree. It isn't. We once had a small apartment and a very, very... And we, we decided for the first time we were going to get a real tree and we got it and it took up over half the living room. There was no space for us at all. <laughs> it wasn't that tall. It was just sort of like a very that was broad... a big tree, it was big yeah. Round. Yeah. It filled the living room. Yeah. I don't regret it. No, me neither. It was great. We had not enough decorations for that giant tree. I think we started just like stubbing... I started making paper chains and popcorn strings to make it look... <laughs> a little less A bare. little less spare. <laughs> anyway, just a little anecdote from our lives. Uh... So, who helps them with the tree is Victor, who's a day laborer mm-hmm. with the Christmas tree. And he uh, sees their great big feast for lunch and clearly is, like, hungry. Yeah. But leaves, before, like, does not want to beg, does not want to be a nuisance or whatever, is too proud. And leaves immediately, so they have to chase him. So Cynthia chases him with mm. some mince pies. Um, and that immediately uh, ticks off, like, affection and bonds him and Cynthia specifically, which often happens on this show yeah. where one of the cast is chosen to be the person that bonds <laughs> with, the, with yeah. the other person, with the patient of the week. Yep. Yeah, and Victor brings back the food to Nancy. They're clearly... uh, Very, very poor. Very poor. Mm -hmm. He says he got some food. They're... Yeah, we don't see much more at this point. Mm -hmm. Other than that they're very poor. They're very poor and that he he has extra money from today. They put in a little box marked with the word baby. Yes. All right, so moving on. Patsy and the two women arrive at Astor, the Astor Lodge home. They find it's not very hospitable and the nurse is very gruff. One of the girls leaves to have her baby and Denise and Avril meet a new mom, Yvonne, who loves her baby and wants to marry the father. Later, the child is taken harshly away from her. Back in Poplar, in the street, Trixie, Patsy, Cynthia and Tom discuss the nuns not knowing that Cynthia is called the same life. She reveals it to the shock of Trixie and Patsy, 
who don't handle the news especially well. <laughs> Sheila and Timothy push the pram in the market looking for a Christmas tree when Victor has a seizure in front of them. Later, she finds out he is a patient of the clinic and was discharged from a mental hospital many years ago. So the mother-baby home is grim. Yes. Like when Denise and Avril and uh, Patsy are walking up to it, that like the lights are off, not a fairy light to be seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even before they come in, it's like... Uh, they had been... Patsy's never been to it before, and um, Chummy's never been to it before, but Chummy has heard that it's like they try to make it homey, and they've heard good things, and they're like imagining it as being like a homey place. Mm-hmm. And before we even go inside, it is not homey. It's dark and uninviting, and then they go in and like... And there's no one to greet them at all. No one cares that they're there. No one cares that they're there. The matron says something about, like, clean under your fingernails. I'm all, I'm all about cleaning, but the place doesn't look clean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she says she's all about cleaning, but it is not very clean. There's and like there's, a like, a random crying. baby, uh... Oh, yeah, and she won't, uh... uh I, I didn't catch if it was Avril or Denise who reached out to touch the baby. And the matron was like, don't touch the baby. We don't touch each other's babies. Yeah, it was Denise. I'm like... It's... Very grim. Very grim. And there's, like, when she goes in, I mean, it's one of these things where, like, the metaphor is perhaps a little heavy-handed, or perhaps it's exactly right that she goes in and there's a cockatiel in a cage picking at its feathers. And uh, Avril, who knows something about birds, is like, your cockatiel's picking at its feathers, that's a sign of illness in a bird. And the matron is just like, eh. And it's like the metaphor there that the bird in the cage that is not thriving in its cage and the caretaker for it is not giving it the care that it's need it needs. And she's the care the all the women in this baby mother home are birds in a cage. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and Patsy, you know, tries her best and tells the nurse what, you know, Denise needs and all that stuff. And the nurse is very dismissive of her, but Patsy has no choice but to leave them there. She's the one who brought them there, but there's no staying. But uh, but at least she's seen what it's like. And so yeah. in the future, when they call her back, she knows what she's getting into and knows what needs to happen. Yeah. Oh, the little detail, too, that uh, is like... It just shows how it's all in the details. That uh, the woman comes down the stairs off to the hospital. And first of all, the matron is like yelling at her. Did you pack your bag? I always tell you to pack your bag. And like she didn't even say she didn't. Why are you yelling at her about it? Yeah. She did pack her bag. But then also she brings out a box of wedding rings and Mm. gives her a wedding ring and says to spare your blushes. And it's so like one of these things where like. Giving them a spare wedding ring to go in to deliver might actually be a gesture of kindness to spare them embarrassment, except that it's not at all, mm-hmm. right? Like, played differently, that could be a little gesture of like, well, it's no one else's business, let's give you some, a wedding ring so that no one gossips kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, But it's done with such roughness and uh, dismissiveness. And it's one of the things that's going to be, like, 
the theme connected to this mother baby home is that they increase the stigma mm-hmm. their their existence increases stigma and so this like wedding ring scene is a little yeah. moment of like that could be done in theory that could be done to uh spare the feelings of the woman but instead it's done to increase the stigma in society basically yeah exactly so denise and avril meet uh yvonne uh the blonde woman who has just had her baby and uh named him nicholas she they take him for a walk outside she tells them how she wanted to marry Nicholas's father. Mm-hmm. She wanted to make a family, but since they're so young, they couldn't get their parents' permission. And so she was sent here for her baby to be taken away from her. Yeah. Uh, the moment of them taking Yvonne's baby is just harrowing. That yeah. they have... She hands them over and they're like, oh, go lay out everything he needs. It isn't even, they don't even tell her it's the day he's leaving. They just tell her like, oh, we're just going to see what all he has. You give him to me. Show me what clothes he has. Yeah. And then we'll see that. And while she's upstairs, they take him away. Yeah. She doesn't get to say goodbye. She doesn't get to feed him one last time. She gets nothing. And... I mean, I'm choking up now just thinking about it, thinking about that scene because yeah. of how awful it is. And that not like so much about it. Uh, she didn't know. She didn't know that this was the moment when her baby was going to be taken. Uh, she didn't know that it was going to be a surprise. Like, you know, like, she didn't know that it was going to be on an unexpected day. Yeah. She didn't know that... Like, what she says is, you didn't say I couldn't say goodbye. Yeah. It's not even like, I couldn't say goodbye. She didn't know she wasn't going to be able to say goodbye. Yes, exactly. Which is just, like, one cut crueler. Mm-hmm. You know? And then the physical cruelty of taking... Uh, breastfeeding mother away from their child and not doing anything to comfort to like stop her milk and and like it was what she needs for to do feeding. they're like yeah that too good gravy that you know like it's not just any random time specifically it's time for his feeding it's like the most oh yeah it's it's awful the way they treat these women and the way they take away their babies and the way it was couched in like, this is a good place because you get to be with your baby for the first few weeks or whatever. But then it's worse. It's so much worse than them taking the baby away at birth because they're, oh, it's just, everything is awful about it. And she, when we first meet Yvonne, she's like holding her baby and rocking it while it's crying and the matron is very like don't be indulgent leave if you put him down he won't cry and there's like a sense of she wants to discourage them her from uh bonding with the baby mm-hmm. um and that's part like she's 
the matron is quite villainous. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, she maybe has no a little, redeeming like, qualities. Miss, Miss Havisham y villainous, <laughs> like over the top villainous. Yeah. Um, but you can see the uh, underlying attitude is it'll be less painful for everyone if you don't bond at all. Mm-hmm. And we've seen on the show and we see played out in this episode at this moment and again later that, like, no, though. Nope, never <laughs> The whole works. point of this place is supposed to be that. Uh, they do get to bond for a little bit and connect and then say goodbye. And it's, of course, sad. Like, in the in the uh, ideal version of this place, the mothers spend a little time with their baby and uh, reassure themselves and their baby that they, you know, are going to some place that can take better care of them, but it doesn't mean that they don't, you know... Mm-hmm. All these, uh, the the connection for those couple of weeks is important. <laughs> yeah. And so downplaying it is like counter to the whole purpose. As well, even in theory, as well as being like objectively cruel. Yeah. Uh, just have to say, you said just now villainous like Mrs. Havisham. You mean Hannigan. Yes, sorry, ha- I do. Ha- Havisham is from Great Expectations. <laughs> Hannigan is from Annie. I She's mean, the awful one. I mean, Miss Havisham isn't great either, but Miss <laughs> Hannigan is not great in the way that this matron is. You're right. <laughs> um, so we have Trixie, Patsy, Cynthia, and Tom all out on the town coming home. And they mention Sister Winifred and how she... Uh, you know, is their age, but is tucked in with the nuns and must have pray and what an awful life. And Cynthia gets very upset because it's this awful life to them that she is now choosing. Yeah. Uh, Trixie, who is Cynthia's oldest friend in this context, is very upset. Is handles it very poorly. Very judgy. <laughs> very so judgy. Like... Oh, Trixie. So Trixie is Cynthia's oldest friend, sort of. <laughs> Trixie is, is Cynthia's oldest acquaintance. She's always been a little judgy of Cynthia. Yes, that's true. That is very true. It's like Trixie's uh, most um, high school mean girl characteristics come out in relationship to Cynthia. That is, that is not, you're not wrong. Yeah. Um... So, and Cynthia, I mean, and then Trixie and Patsy have this little chat in the hallway and realize that they reacted poorly, but also uh, are still judgy and still do not, are like, can we talk her out of this? And realize that they can't. And Trixie's judginess, like, specifically what Trixie says is if, Cynthia had ever had even one boyfriend, she wouldn't want this. If ever a man had smiled at her, she wouldn't want this. Mm-hmm. And it's like mean. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, that that's maybe all I'm gonna say. This is basically Trixie at her worst. This in this in this exchange, mo- in this yeah. exchange, she comes out of it, but her first reaction is is Trixie like she's dating a curate but mm-hmm. some but she's like 
well, you know, you can have a normal life, Tom, but the nuns have, you know, their restricted sad lives. Like, you've been living with them for years. How can you still think that? Yeah. That's so weird. She thinks that uh, that's all right for old women. Yeah. Like, it's so, yeah, it's not Trixie at her best at all. No, it isn't. How could you look at, I mean, like, you can, I can easily see how you could look at them and say, that's not the life for me. Mm -hmm. How could you look at Sister Julienne, Sister Evangelina, even Sister Monica Joan, who's out of her mind, and be like, (laughs) they've had a sad life, you know, like, Mm -hmm. anyway. (laughs) Not impressed with uh, Trixie in this exchange. Yeah. Sheila and Tim... Oh, do you want to talk more about Yeah, that's what I was going to talk about next. Sheila and Tim walk along trying to find a Christmas tree, and Tim is trying to talk Sheila into buying an aluminum Christmas tree. I know. A silver Christmas tree. And he says, he says his friend got a silver Christmas tree, and Sheila's like, well, his friend's parent I can't remember the name. Uh, his parents must be very, of a very modern spirit. Your father and I are more traditional. And Tim says with so much disgust. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love Timothy so much. I love... um, I don't know if it... We find out that the baby's... Their new baby's name is Angela. Mm. Which... Angel. Mm -hmm. It's kind of sweet. Um, I found out in like a really recent episode. And I can't remember if it gets said... When exactly we find this out in the run of the show. But... Angela's middle name is Julianne. Hmm. And I love that so much. We That's don't hear really that in sweet. this episode. We don't hear that in this episode. And I don't know the first episode we hear it in, but I found it out recently. And I just like, that just made, made my heart very happy that Angela's yeah. middle name is Julianne. Of course it is. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, Victor has a seizure in the... Uh, Marketplace, and he knocks over uh, coals that burn his leg. Yeah. Uh, sister, uh, I mean, Sheila puts something in his mouth while he's seizing, mm-hmm. because that's what you used to do. You <laughs> just, you know, anyone who's listening, don't do that. Seizures, we do not put things in people's mouth anymore. That is an old school <laughs> thing. And like, of course, would be helpful at the yeah, time. they show that because that is what you would do in the 50s. But it is something that we've discovered i don't know when they discovered it but certainly now no 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 we don't do that anymore Mm. i think most people know that i hope most people know that (laughs) but it is i wonder about this kind of thing i think i saw this in a reddit thread about call the midwife is they show old-fashioned medicine is it can it be damaging sometimes for people to see these old stereotypes reinforced like putting someone something in the mouth of someone who's seizing yeah i don't know maybe i feel like uh it would be damaging in a different way to show contemporary medical techniques as if they existed in the 50s yeah that's true that's true so back at astor lodge denise is ill and avril is angered of how they took yvonne's baby she calls out the nurse and then calls Chummy. She and Dr. Turner, with Timothy in tow, arrive to help. 
The nurse has already left, and Denise has the chicken pox. Chummy and Patsy agree to take over the Astro Lodge in the meantime. Cynthia visits Victor and checks on his leg, but they aren't able to afford the prescription. She discovers the savings jar and that Nancy is pregnant and arranges for a visit with Dr. Turner. Nancy doesn't trust doctors, but agrees to go. Chummy helps Peter study, and they discuss eventually leaving Poplar. Sister Julienne and Cynthia chat in the chapel, and Cynthia is still feeling unsure, but ultimately has faith. Dr. Turner examines Nancy to find that she's had a lobotomy and a tubal ligation at the mental hospital. She is not pregnant, but going through menopause. She is very distressed and runs off, with Victor catching her and embracing her. Cynthia witnesses their love and confirms that she will be a nun. She leaves to tell her parents and takes the broken sheep from the nativity scene with her. So, uh... You want to talk about Avril's rant at the... Sure, let's talk about Avril first. (laughs) Um, Avril, like I said, I liked her right away, and man, I love her in this... uh, (laughs) Her, like, she is a powerhouse. Yep. Uh, She takes no prisoners with the matron. Uh, Is, like... She is the best. So the matron, I, like, when I... uh, Compared her to Miss Hannigan, we hadn't seen yet that she's drinking gin with her hot milk. So she's so she's also drunk on the job. Mm-hmm. That's the extra comparison. Um, and Avril calls up, is like the best, yells at her, uh, knows what to do, calls immediately for help at uh, Nanata's house. Is this the posh one with red hair or the one with the glasses? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're both posh. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, uh, yeah. And then, uh, I just love all of that. I, uh, Avril is the best. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Avril to the rescue. Dr. Turner, Dr. Turner, Chummy, and Patsy go off to the mother and baby home with Timothy. And Chummy has this, like, Timothy's coming too? And Timothy says, yes, I quite fancy a bit of moral contagion. I wrote that line down too because it was so good. I quite fancy a bit of moral contagion. He's so precocious. I love I, him. I love this stage of Timothy. This yeah. Like, or this kind of Timothy. Wisecracking uh, is the best. Yeah, I absolutely. Love absolutely. He's like maybe a little uh, smarter than he has any right to be even. I don't know. How old is he supposed to be? Uh, but he's I don't the best. Know, ten. Yep. He's uh, uh or later on you get this Timothy, but you also get Timothy later on saying, you know, did Angela did our, did my little sister come from a place like this? Yes. And like that's quite a moment. That too. is that is a moment and a good moment for him to have, and him to like and Doctor and for Doctor Turner to not know how to answer that because he doesn't know she mm. might have their says, their loved and waited for child may have been ripped from their mother's arms in the exact same way that yvonne's little boy was ripped from hers yeah that's hard 
And what Dr. Turner says, did she come from a mess like this? I hope not, but she did come from a girl like this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I really like this. I really, really like putting these two kind of stories that... Um, Angela was adopted in the last episode, uh, last season, but like we start this episode seeing their family of four and the, uh, you know, loving and, uh, being so happy to have baby Angela. And I really am glad that they didn't just leave it in the subtext that Mm -hmm. they put it right there that like, uh, she may not have come from a place like this, but she may have. Mm. And we don't know. And she came from a girl like this. Yeah, exactly. I really like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't like it, but yeah. I really appreciate that they are showing us this. Yeah. They find out that Denise has the chicken pox, which in an older kid and a pregnant person, not good. No. Terrible. So Yeah. she well, has to go off in pox. isolation. Yeah. And Yvonne is there and she has cried so hard that she burst a blood vessel in her eye. Yeah. And she has no and she has no way of stopping the milk and so her shirt is just soaked with milk. Yeah. It's devastating to see how she's doing. But of course, Donatus to the rescue. <laughs> Chummy and Patsy step in, Dr. Turner steps in, they're fixing the power they're fixing everything and uh we'll see how that goes <laughs> but we'll, that we'll is yeah that goes definitely there's a and there's also a discussion with dr turner of how places like this could exist because there isn't a solid uh bureaucracy of who's mm-hmm. taking care of it and that is a problem with when things change there are there are always institutions that slip through the cracks and this, so like at the nhs comes out but suddenly these places that were paid for by charity by whatever slip through the cracks yeah and that's what uh he says that it used to be run by small charities and then the nhs took over and no one knows who's in charge and is one of two institutions in this episode like this Mm -hmm. is one of the things that connects the two plots yeah uh is we find out that victor and nancy both uh did you write down the name of the place i didn't i didn't know they came from a mental hospital a live-in care home or whatever Mm mm-hmm uh, that closed. Yeah. And so the, all the people in it were just turned out on the street. And it's the same, it's not the same exact thing, but it's caused by the same effect as like, this used to be taken care of by one pe- group and then the government took over and no one knows who's in charge and it just closed. And we are usually in this show very, very like NHS hooray. Um, but like, Things slip through the cracks and it's not perfect. Yeah, exactly. And the change comes at a price, a human price that matters. Mm-hmm. A consequential price. Yeah. And we've seen again and again institutions on this show where um, the workhouses, the uh, St. Gideon's for uh, 
people with Down syndrome and mental illnesses, all sorts of things that uh, they take care of their people. But then when their people leave those institutions, they have no way of caring for themselves. And of course, like Victor and Nancy from this mental institution have no understanding of how to feed themselves and care for themselves and get a job because they haven't been taught to and and even i mean this isn't spelled on this show but even there are there is welfare and things for people but they don't know how to get that you have to go and fill out forms and get those things and if you've never even been taught that those things exist then they might as well not exist yeah, and it is not spelled out on the show, but it's signaled on the show because when uh, Cynthia comes to them and is like, well, you, let's go to the doctor and confirm your pregnancy. And then there's, a, a, what did she call it? But like, there's a money. Yeah, milk tokens. Milk and tokens, tokens or whatever and, that yeah. you can get, that you're entitled to, that you can get if you come and you get confirmed. And like, I, I, Nancy is for good reason especially we're about to hear in one second how very good a reason mm-hmm. but nancy is for good reason scared of doctors shy of doctors um but also i think they don't know that they are entitled to these things necessarily or how to get them so it's partly they she doesn't want to go to a doctor even if it leads to good things but it's partly that she doesn't know what good things could come mm-hmm so are we transitioning into Victor? Yeah, and Nancy? let's talk to Victor. Na- talk about Victor and Nancy, um, and again with the NHS, like the free doctor visit that they get, free nurse visit. But when she gives them a prescription, he has epilepsy. When she yeah. gives them a prescription for it, they can't afford to get it. They can't afford that medicine. Yeah. So it only goes so far. Mm-hmm. And, oh. And she says, uh, come see the doctor. And Nancy says, I don't like doctors. They're not kind. Mm-hmm. And Cynthia says, our doctor is very kind. And he finds out that she had a lobotomy and a tubal ligation. Yeah. They sterilized her and gave her a lobotomy. Yeah. And didn't tell her that they'd done that. Either one of them. Yeah, I'm like, oh, because it, it's something that happens, still happens to this day. Yeah. Um. She tells her that she's going through menopause. Nancy knows what that is, but is shocked that she is that old. She, yeah. she doesn't know how old she is. Because it is surprising. When you first see them and they're having a baby, you do think, like, they're kind of old. They're older. Yeah. But she doesn't know how old she is. And her mental capacity is diminished and she's had a piece of her brain removed. It's just, everything is awful about it. In the way, like, why did they give you a lobotomy? Because I couldn't sit still. Mm-hmm. Like there was music in my head and afterwards no more music. Okay, but, um, in one way neither of those things was a surprise uh Mm -hmm. i like it was it's awful Mm -hmm. but 
she was kind of playing her from the beginning like someone who's been lobotom who's had a lobotomy mm -hmm. like just specifically the way that she's like extremely spaced out and uh slow moving is like the the stereotype i don't know anything about actual lobotomies but is the like how i've seen that played before <laughs> so mm -hmm. like yeah exactly was like oh right that's how she's playing it mm -hmm. and also the just like well they were in a mental hospital in the 30s i'm not i it wasn't a surprise to me that they sterilized her mm -hmm. like it was awful but i was like yeah of course they did mm -hmm. <laughs> you know exactly oh that's rough it is it this is rough. really rough and frankly, like, they do a bit for them, but they don't do a lot. They're caring and kind, but there's not a lot they can do for them. I mean, and the, yeah, there's not a lot they can do, right? Mm -hmm. They can't undo either of those surgeries. Mm -hmm. There isn't this... This uh, institution doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So they can't even go yell at anyone. Like, we know how... It would be so nice to see Dr. Turner yell at someone about this because he's so mad <laughs> he like yeah and the moment of like he calls the last he calls the doctor and the doctor says his predecessor mm -hmm. was notorious so yeah he can't even yell at anyone yeah he gets in touch with someone and it's not the person responsible <laughs> so he, yeah exactly no, nowhere to put the, all that anger mm -hmm. yep and they have uh Throughout, we'll we'll get to it in one little second. But Cynthia uh, has her conversation with Sister Julianne, and one of the things she says is she doesn't know why God would want her. She doesn't have anything to offer. Mm -hmm. And after uh, Nancy finds out that she's can't have a baby ever, um, she says something very similar to Victor. Like, I have nothing to offer you. Why do you want me? Mm -hmm. And that's the moment uh, that Cynthia witnesses that has this big effect on Cynthia that uh, Victor says, like, I don't need anything from you at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just love you and you don't have to give me anything except someone to love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I said we'd talk about it in a second. Maybe this is talking about it. This is now, it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Cynthia continues to have conversations with Sister Julianne and to, like, uh, she says, Sister Julianne and Cynthia meet in the chapel at, mm -hmm. like, late at night. And Cynthia says she's uh, thought it would go away. Julianne said, you thought what would go away? The desire? Or you thought what would go away? The doubts? She says, no, the longing. Hmm. Uh, but it hasn't. And Sister Julianne says, like, well, I think you have your answer then. Yeah. <laughs> and then the moment that I just said, like, that really crystallizes things for Cynthia is that, like, what does God want from her? What can she offer to God? Uh, she doesn't have to offer anything. Mm -hmm. She sees that modeled in Victor and Nancy's relationship. 
Yeah. So she goes off to leave her and tell her parents in person and takes the broken sheep saying that someone will want this. And they're like, oh, you want it for yourself? And she's like, no, 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 I'm giving up my worldly things, but I know someone who'll want it. And by the end of the episode, we, of course, find out that she goes and gives it to Jenny. Yeah, and we even, I mean, even it's not a big twist at this moment. Because in the beginning, Jenny and Philip are looking for uh, something. Yeah. And it's like, well, who's this mysterious someone? Do you want to talk about the sheep now or should we hold off still until the very end? Sure, let's talk about the sheep at the very end. (laughs) Uh, So moving on. This episode sometimes, by the way, is divided into two episodes. And if it was, this is the break between the two episodes, Ah, I think. I didn't know that. Yeah. It is a pretty long one. It is. The Christmas specials are always extra long. I think they're both about an hour and a half. So this episode of of, uh, Popular Opinion may be extra long. Well, you know better than us because you can see the time on your uh, <laughs> podcast player, yeah, whereas we're point. just in live. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it'll be long. So at the community center, the children prepare for the Christmas play, including two girls accidentally seeing Fred in his Santa costume. Chummy tries to leave Astor Lodge in time to be home for Peter to take his exam, but misses the bus and has to stay. The girls at the lodge have a party for Christmas finally enjoying themselves. Avril goes into labor with Chummy and Patsy to assist. Back at home, Freddy is ill with croup, and Peter races him to Nanatus when he stops breathing. The nuns help him, and this is intercut with Avril having her baby and eventually refusing to look at it. Peter goes off to take the sergeant's exam on two hours of sleep, Avril refuses to hold her baby, fighting with Chummy about it, but eventually relents and holds her, instantly bonding with her. Why would they scream when they see Fred? I don't know. That's <laughs> like, all. A, this whole plot is all a bit silly because it's solved pretty easily. That like they see Fred in costume, and so it's decided that Fred is going to be in the Christmas play as well as being Santa. Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty silly. It's very silly. And then when... I mean, it's all silliness and like... Okay. But, you know, something to do. When we see the actual Christmas play, Fred as Santa is dancing around in the background and knocks over the chimney. Yeah. a big slapstick <laughs> uh, set piece yeah. of him falling over himself. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Fred. That's Fred. With that. Um, we haven't really talked much about Peter's exam. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, so in the earlier scene, too, they were ta- uh, Peter and Chummy were talking about his exam. And he's very nervous because he failed it twice. And uh, she's kind of saying how maybe this could be their way out of Poplar mm-hmm. for a while. And, you know, Freddie has a a sick chest, and so maybe they could go uh to the place where he could have a yard and a cunt in the country yeah chummy thinks that freddy's cough is caused by the dirty city air mm-hmm. which it might be yeah <laughs> because london especially in the 50s and the 1890s <laughs> london always is notoriously a dirty well and this is city. and this is pre-clean air act yeah or no it's post-clean air act but just barely which, of course, breaks our hearts because Chummy and Peter can't leave Poplar. This is where they live. <laughs> it's true. 
Um, I'm not sure. Part of the reason why we haven't talked much about it is I'm not sure exactly what to make of it. Like the uh, Santa Claus thing, it's a pretty, like... Peter is stressed about his exam. He's always, every time we see him, cramming for the exam and stressed about it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he passes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure what else to say about it. Do I you like, have any idea? I like that he... Uh... I like seeing Peter as a comp as a competent father mm -hmm. and as a caregiving father in a different way than we see any other father on this show, really. Virtually any other, yeah. Yeah, and so he, you know, goes to take Fred. Fred, he stops breathing and he freaks out and he runs to, like, get an ambulance, but it's all foggy and he can't. And so then he runs to... Straight to Nanata's house, who help him out. And then Sister Evangelina, he's like, I've had two hours of sleep. And she's like, you know what we could do on two hours. She, I can't remember what she says that she's done on two hours she, sleep. She says, uh, she has something like, I could knock down walls on two hours of sleep and so could you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you're, you're familiar with what it's like to be on no sleep. You can do this. I love his relationship with the Nanata's house and his relationship with medicine is different than any other father we see yeah, than true. any other man we see because he has this like he has both the knowledge of being a sergeant and the knowledge of being Chummy's husband and learning about medical stuff I don't know I just like I seeing what like, he does this is one of the few moments in the whole show where we see Sister Monica Joan being practically medically uh in, intervening practically and medically mm -hmm. that he arrives at the door and sister monica joan answers and she's come in the child has croup the remedy is steam and it is mm -hmm. and she basically sister monica joan's the one who solves it for him yeah and we have seen sister monica joan be you know we have acknowledged her past medical skills and we have seen her be like helpful in other ways but we haven't very often seen her solve a medical problem yeah that's true that's true uh, and i like it mm -hmm. croup i don't know like i don't know what croup means oh it's, yeah it's when you get a bad chest like i i've it just means a, a cough basically <laughs> babies get it from my gather from what i gather in uh the way everyone talks about it i can't really distinguish between croup and just like coughing <laughs> It's bad, bad when you're a baby because you can't breathe if you get, if you okay. get like fluid on your lungs, basically. So the snow that keeps uh, Peter from being able to get an ambulance is the same snow that keeps Chummy trapped in the mother and baby home. Mm -hmm. This, uh, there's a few moments here with Chummy and Miranda Hart playing Chummy where she falls going to catch the bus. And then later on, when she's dancing with the other, <laughs> with the, the women, it's very Miranda Hart. Like, this is, it was like, it could be scenes out of the show, Miranda. <laughs> the way she's clumsy and hilarious while being clumsy. And running for the bus and falling and just being like, no! And I mean, as someone who has relied on public transport, I have been there when the bus drives away when you're running for it and it's just like there is nothing you can do mm -hmm. no um 
I love the uh, party that they have. Well, uh, uh, before, about the missing the bus, just there's a moment where Patsy says, you wouldn't do Peter any help lying in a ditch like Captain Oates. Do you know what that means? No, what's that mean? Captain Oates was an Antarctic explorer ah. who left the ca- his camp for like, I don't know why. I, I don't know all the details of his life, but like left his camp and didn't come back. Oh, I see. So, lying in a ditch like mm-hmm. Captain Oates is, like, dead as, as an Arctic explorer. Mm. An Antarctic explorer. Right. Sorry, but then they have the party. The The other thing that you said that I have to just add to is her chummy throwing off her jacket in the dance. It's, like, one of the funniest little moments. Yes, exactly. Like, throws it off and goes, woo! Yep. <laughs> so funny. It is so good. Uh... I, and then I love the way they intercut Avril with giving birth and Fred with uh, Freddy with Peter is this kind of both of these medical things happening at the same time in very different ways mm-hmm. and both Chummy and Peter being competent in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Avril uh Refusing to even look at the baby after it's born. Yeah. And she's trying so hard to save her heart. Yes. She has seen the pain that, like, Yvonne went through, and she is just trying so hard to protect her heart, but she knows that she can't. Well, and she has that moment uh, near the end of labor where she says, like, I want it to be healthy. I want the baby to be okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So... As if we, the audience, needed to know, but, like, she makes it. Yeah. I, I feel like her performance has always been good enough that we'd know it, even if she hadn't didn't have a line. But she does have a line <laughs> where she says, yeah. where we, it's clear that, like, she cares about the baby's well-being, even despite her many lines about not caring. Yeah. Because she's trying to protect her heart. I did feel like... She has the baby. She refuses to look at it. Eventually, Chummy talks her into it. And Chummy's basically says, you know, like, you can keep the baby. After all, you can keep her. You can yeah. be her mother. But is Chummy right to say that? To do that? Like, I mean, yes, she should be able to keep her baby if she wants to. But in the real world, where is she going? What is she doing after this? Do we have yeah. any sense of how she's going to live with a baby in tow? I was a little like, Chummy, do you live in the real world? Have you not seen what women are yeah. like? I don't know. We don't know. I mean, we we hear in this section about uh, Avril's childhood and past. Mm-hmm. We actually don't know what her current situation is. That's true, we don't. Um, she has a job. Does she, she doesn't have anyone, I guess. She doesn't have any support people mm-hmm. who are with her and beside her and helping her. Like, we know in this, in this uh, moment, in this section, we hear her, her backstory that she had. She, her mother was also a single mother who gave her up Mm-hmm. To an orphanage, dropped her off at St. Bernardo's, or at Dr. Bernardo's, I mean, 
Dr. Bernardo was an Irish philanthropist who founded a bunch of orphanages mm. in the early 20th century in uh, the UK. Okay. So he dropped me off. She dropped me off at Dr. Bernardo's. That means at an orphanage. Yeah. But we don't know. Look, she had she. It's not a real mink hat, but she has something. Like she dresses posh. She has to have some income. Yeah, but she can't have that income and have a baby. Well, but she might have enough income to be able to hire care, child care. She can. I hear what you're saying, but I just think it's unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But it's a sweet moment, and I really do like that she eventually holds the baby and bonds with her. I also think, actually, that we don't end the episode with her saying, I'm definitely keeping the baby. That's also what true. What Chummy says is, there's no law that says you can't keep him. And she says, I guess there isn't. Um, yeah. You know, like, so... Yeah. So I would maybe say we end the episode with her not not as sure what she's going to do. Yeah, that's true. As she was at first. But that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that she is keeping the baby. Mm-hmm. All right, so the Turners, having seen the girls in the mother-baby home, write a letter to Angela's birth mother. The Christmas pageant goes off with Fred as Santa. <laughs> Denise gives up her baby boy, while Avril ends up keeping hers. Yvonne leaves with her parents, and Cynthia is shown, shown helping Nancy make mince pies. <laughs> the two of them, Nancy and Victor, join the nuns for Christmas dinner. Peter passes his exam, and Cynthia wears her habit for the first time, departing the mother house. We flash forward to present day, where Jenny decorates a Christmas tree, and Philip finds the broken sheep from Nanatus. Philip tells Jenny that she should write her memoirs. Sorry, I recapped that Avril kept her baby, but I guess we're not 100% sure. Yeah, I think you're probably right. She probably does. I'm just defending Chubby. I know. I think we probably should <laughs> probably keep her baby. And maybe that is in uh maybe that is impractical, but she can keep it if she wants to. Yeah, she can. I'm just saying that it's not gonna be easy. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone thinks it's gonna be easy. When before Ch- um before Cynthia leaves, mm-hmm. she joins the uh this is in the last section, I think. It was in a yeah. short little bit intercut, but I'll talk about it now. She joins the nuns singing, mm. and that's intercut with uh, other things. That It's intercut with the uh, Christmas dinner, I think. Um, and what they're singing is Psalm 139, mm. uh, which is a longish psalm, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... They start just before verse 8. If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be the light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as day, and darkness and light are both alike to thee. For thou art possessed my reins. 
Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are their works, are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. And this uh, feels like such a very appropriate psalm for this episode, mm-hmm. both because it's about uh, where can I go to hide from God? God is with me wherever I am. And that is really appropriate for Cynthia feeling God's call that uh, Cynthia hasn't been hiding from God or running from God. But the theme of like, what's the point in hiding from your call? Because wherever you go, God's going to be there with you. Uh, And in the context of the psalm, specifically like supporting and upholding and loving you. Mm -hmm. And then that connects in the psalm to you... I, I used the language of the, uh, that they're singing, but the language that is maybe better known is you knit me together in my mother's womb. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea in this song that connects to the episode of like, the babies are torn away from their parents, but they're the love the, from their mothers sometimes. Uh, and sometimes given away uh, sadly and wistfully, but but by choice, and sometimes kept. And the God's love is with them no matter where they go. And that the love, the, the mother's love is with them from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the language that uh, Chummy uses to convince Avril to hold her baby is that he's been with you in your body all this time time and that connects to the language of the psalms like god was covering the baby in his mother's womb and it ties it right back again to cynthia and i feel like it's just such a appropriate psalm for the various themes of the episode Mm -hmm. agreed and then cynthia dressed in her habit going off is like oh it's uh I feel the bittersweetness that they, uh, or the, I feel the wistfulness that Trixie and Patsy do that, like. Yeah, she'll be back, but she'll be back with a new name and, uh, it'll be different. She'll never be the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Things will never be the same. Um, (laughs) we see Denise's mother again. We do. She holds the baby. She is a boy. She expresses regret that she didn't make sure Denise was exposed to the chicken pox. She expresses love for this child who, while being given away, is still her first grandchild. Yeah. And I really love this moment between the two of them. Like I said earlier, I have sympathy for this mom, despite she's a bit harsh. And I have, and it's this last scene that really seals that for me, is how gentle and kind she actually is. With Denise, she's not harsh. She's not going to throw her out. She just wants what's best for her daughter. And she even, like, uh, who knows, as as you say about practicalities and how would she feel if the answer was different, but she even, like, are you sure you want to give him up? Mm -hmm. Like, she gives Denise the emotional, uh, if not necessarily actually the practical, but the emotional real chance of, like, you could, she says but kind of the same thing that Chummy does. There's no law that says you have to give him up. Are you sure you don't want to keep him? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I kind of suspect she wouldn't say that if she wasn't pretty sure Denise was going to say, I do want to give him yeah. up. But emotionally, she's like, are you ready to give him up? Are you sure you want to? Uh, and that also makes me really like her a lot more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else to talk about before we move on to Philip and Jenny? I can't think. No, I think. Uh, so we spoke about this before, about this framing with old Jenny and Philip and uh, it continues to be bad but what is the significance of the broken sheep? Yeah. And Why see, did Cynthia give Jenny the broken sheep? See, this is where maybe I have made a mistake by being like we'll talk about it, we'll talk about it because what I want to talk about is I don't get it. Do you get it? Not really. I don't I mean I guess the broken sheep is Jenny would have seen this uh, nativity scene throughout her time there and and so they give her a piece of it and it's a little bit broken but she gets to she gets the broken have it (laughs) yeah i don't know symbolizes that she's part of them even though it's the garbage one why does jenny want the broken one does jenny did jenny like the sheep specifically i remember the last christmas episode her holding and like a, a significant shot with her holding a, a baby Jesus. Yeah, she washes the baby Jesus. I don't remember. I just don't really get it. Why this sheep is significant to well, Jenny let's, specifically. Let's, let's put it to our listeners. Listeners, all four of you, let us know. <laughs> let us know if you understand why Jenny gets the sheep or if it makes any sense to you in terms of like metaphorical or any kind of symbolic meaning. Because we're just, like, at a loss for why it matters. Um, And do you like or dislike this whole framing narrative with old Jenny? Yeah. uh, Maybe you're like, how dare you insult my favorite part of the whole show so far? Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) I would love to hear if people have something to say about those things. So what was your favorite part of this episode my favorite part is avril and her general amazing competence when the chips are down that she yes takes charge of the uh, mother and baby home kicks out the matron and just is like <laughs> absolutely boss and i i i love it yep that's a good call that's a good call how about you um I'm going to have to go for a slightly funny moment because I love when Timothy says, I fancy a bit of moral contagion. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it's just so, it's funny. It's out of like, kind of out of nowhere, but it's just like, yeah, I love it. I like sassy Timothy, (laughs) which we get sometimes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. exactly. A flavor of Timothy where he's like precocious and sassy. I enjoy it. Yeah, me too. Uh. All right, so. You can contact us by email, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash poplaropinion. We now have a Discord channel. I'll put a link to that in the show notes because Discord invites are all just a bundle of letters and numbers and there's no point reading it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can contact us in any of those ways. We'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, if you would like to support the show, you can do that by going to 
patreon.com slash clockworkscast. So thank you so very much for joining us. We will be back soon with all of Season 4. We will probably do what we did with Season 3, which is record the entire thing before we start airing it, so it probably won't be ready next week. But not long. We're, we're watching and recording and working on Season 4, so we're really looking forward to having Season 4 out soon. Thank you so much for joining us here and for the whole this whole podcast uh, and for this whole show and Merry Christmas to all. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Dr. Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. Thank you.